Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will bring a message entitled, Dare to Ask. We'll start in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. Ephesians chapter 3, we're coming to the end of chapter 3, which is a pretty strong passage about prayer and the power of God, most of it. And we're just going to look at two verses, and we're going to look at one of them a little extra closely. And the message is actually called Dare to Ask, and it, it, this is the place in the Bible that I got the title for the book that I wrote, Prayer, Dare to Ask. And if you haven't read that and you have it, it would be a very good idea to read it. I'd suggest you read a chapter a day for seven days or whatever it takes. And and uh, it's very short, very simple, very to the point. It'll teach you how to pray. But as, as we look at the scripture here, it says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through endless ages. Amen. Glory be to God. You know, that almost is something that we you can hear with, with a tone of mockery, somebody laughing, ah, oh, glory be to God. But what is it really saying? It's, it's saying, let's take time to honor God. That's what we do when we come to worship the Lord. Let's honor God. Well, why? Well, the next sentence gives the answer. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or to hope. By God's power within us, he's able to accomplish more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. There's a man that I met about a year ago. Actually, when I met him, he was frightening to people around him. He came to our church on Saturday night, and he would come for weeks, and nobody would sit near him. He would be all by himself. And he had a, a, a very fierce, and I'm going to say it, evil look about him. And he accepted the Lord the second or third Sunday or Saturday, he would, he would sit and scowl at me through the whole service, and he continued to look that way for several months. And I, I talked to him, I got to know him. I found out he was involved with a coven of witches, that he says he had made contracts with the devil. And it was obvious in, in everything about him. He was, he was a frightening person to be around, even after he accepted the Lord. And then he dropped out of sight. I didn't see him anymore. And and he pops up last night. Haven't seen him for months. And he's altogether different. He's got this warm, wonderful smile. There's this peace about this guy that it just is almost unnerving. And at the end of the service last night, I greeted him. And, and he greeted me real warmly. And then he said, what time's church tomorrow? Is it 9 o'clock? I said, no, it's 8 o'clock. So he, he, he came again at 8 o'clock for reruns. And so I, I, I stopped him in the back, and I, and I said, where you been? He goes, I, I, I moved. I was living in, in Waikiki for a while, and I was going to another church. And, and I go, well, what happened to you? Something's obviously happened to you. And, and I go, you, you had such a hard look about you before. And, and he goes, I know. And, and then he says, you know, if I gave my testimony, people would think I was crazy. 
And he goes, I had made contracts with the devil. Because he had told me he was actually in fear of his life when he accepted the Lord. He had to go make peace with the people that he used to hang out with in the witch's coven because they actually were trying to get him killed. And, and we went through all of that and prayed. That was about a year ago. But he's just so drastically different. So I, I go, well, well, who talked to you? Who counseled you? Who, who brought you through this thing? He says, all I did was stay in the word and do what the word said and, and, and pray. And he says, as I read the Bible, I began to realize that the areas of my life that I had surrendered to Satan, I needed to almost legally take back and then offer them to the Lord. And as I did, I've changed. And everything's changed. He's, he's prospering financially, business things, you know, work. It's good. God's grace is there. Glory to God. He's able to do infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. Now, yeah, a couple of scriptures and uh, as we go through this. And one of them is in Genesis chapter 3. You might want to write it in the margin. You don't need to go there if you don't want to. Because I'm going to just tell you the story. This is a story. It's, it's part of, of creation. God makes our first parents. And he, and he, and he puts them in a, in, in a place that's described as a garden. It's so beautiful. And it's lush. And, and there's everything that you would need there. And he tells them that everything that's on the planet is at their disposal. They're in control of it. It's their dominion, if you would. But he tells them that he wants them to stay and surrender to him. And the way that we'll know that we're in surrender is by this word obedience. I obey God if I'm in surrender to him. And the way that we would mark out surrender, the Lord says, all the trees of the field, everything is yours. All the fruit is yours. All the animals are under your control. You got mineral rights to everything. It's, it's your deal. But this one tree is mine. And I want you to leave alone the fruit of this tree. Now the Bible doesn't say what kind of a tree it was. You know, we always hear about eating the apple. Uh, it would be very hard to even believe that apples could grow in the climate where archaeologists pretty much figure the garden was. It doesn't say what kind of a tree it was. Nor does it say that it was unique. There may have been 10,000 of them. But the Lord said, this one is mine. Leave this one alone. Pretty soon Satan comes along and, and, and he begins to twist the words of God, which he'll do in your life. And he says, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Well, no. He said, we can only leave this one alone. The rest is for us. And, and this, is, this is Satan. He'll take truth and twist it. You know, you hear people that are down on church or down on the Lord or down on religion. And churches are always saying stuff like this. You know, and they, they get off in their little jag. And, and it's like, yeah, well, let's find out. I mean, what church have you been to that they're saying stuff like that? Because I've never been to one like that. You know, sometimes it pays to, to press people just a little bit. They'll give you information, but they won't give you all the information. And you need to go and look for the rest of it. I, I, was, I was in a discussion the other day with some Christians, and, and one of the persons was, was commenting how, how much of the problems in the world are caused by misguided Christians going into other cultures and, and destroying their culture in the wake of the gospel. And somebody else said, no, it's bigger than that. It's Western imperialism. And, and that's what you hear every day in the media. And, and then you, you, you stop and got to ask yourself some questions about this. And, 
And one of the questions would be, how, how about the, the, the 65 million people that were killed from 1948 to 1978 under Mao Zedong in China? 65 million. Hitler only knocked off 10 million. 65 million. Was that Western imperialism or was that Eastern imperialism? How about the several million Cambodians that lost their life? One of our ladies from our church has, has resigned from her teaching here. She's teaching at the College of Law and Economics for Cambodia now. And this country is, 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 I mean, there's piles of skulls that they put in museums for all the several million Cambodians, a third of the population, lost their lives during Pol Pot. Was that Western imperialism or was that Eastern imperialism? How about the 70 million people that died in the Soviet Union from 1917 till the end of the thing under the Reagan era? Was that Western imperialism? Or was that Soviet imperialism? The mess that's going on with Russia and Chechnya today is Russian imperialism. Is at the root of the thing. And so sometimes we sort of just let things stand. Somebody comes in and, and, and says something to us or they, they twist something or they give us a partial truth and we just sort of back off. It would be wise for us to, to go, I want to know the rest of the story. I'm going to do my homework. I want to do a little research here. I want to know the rest of the story. But Satan comes and he bends the truth. And, and, in, and now the correction comes. No, no, God said it's only this one tree that we can't eat of. And then Satan twists that even. And he goes, aha, that, I know that. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. If you eat that tree, you'll know the things that God knows. And, and, and God's holding out on you. And he uses so effectively, especially amongst youth, but I think amongst all of us, and, and that is this desire to, to be in the know, to be sophisticated, to, to be cool. You know, I, I grew up in, I went to high school in the early 1960s, and, 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 and you know, the, whatever the school thought they were teaching, we all knew something different. We majored in cool. And uh, you do anything to not be seen as uncool. And so what that meant is, it's simple stuff like cigarettes, all the way to stuff like drugs, alcohol, perverted sex. You'll do whatever it takes to look cool to your friends. If you knew the stuff that our youth leaders are telling us about your kids and the parties that they go to, the free sex that's going on, the exchanging of bodies, just in the name of experimentation, You'd make sure that you knew whose house they were going to and when they were coming home and what was going on there. But people will sell their soul for sophistication. And so here comes the thing. Well, you'll be like God. And so they obeyed Satan rather than obeying the Lord. They did the opposite of honoring the Lord. They dishonored him. And they honored Satan by obeying him. The Bible says, don't you know that the person that you obey, you be, that becomes your master? Well, God's a good master. The Apostle Paul always would write his letters and say that he, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But here's Paul. He was the jet setter of his day. He lived in a time when most people would never travel 40 miles from home in their whole life. He was all over the Mediterranean up into Europe. And he always had his financial needs met. He always had whatever he needed. 
God met him with power and miracles. God is a good master. Satan is a, a master that will destroy you. And, and so they turn and they dishonor God. They begin to obey Satan. And Satan now has the right to the planet that was theirs. He's got the right to fill us with greed and malice and, and theft and anger and hatred and war and rape and all of those things. And, and, and we've been on a downhill slide ever since. Glory to God happens when we reverse that process. And I think it happens two ways. And, and, and the first one, you might want to write this down, is obedience. When I obey God, things go right in my life. When I obey God, things go right in my life. And it's not just the written down stuff. It's the little whispers in your ear. God telling you, yeah, show up on Thursday night to that prayer deal or, or go meet with this person for coffee or, you know, whatever. When, when God speaks and you obey, things go well. And, they, and the response that we have is, wow, which is a way of saying glory to God. The second important part of honoring God is prayer. See, one is God talking to us and us obeying. The other is us talking to God and saying, your scriptures promise this. Will you do this for me? God, we're in a mess down here. Will you fix it? And when he does, again, the response is, wow, God's going to be glorified. Good things are going to happen. Well, as we go on, this scripture says, glory to be, be to God, and it gives the reason, and it says, by his mighty power within us, he's able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul in the first chapter says, I pray that you'll understand this mighty power that's within you. In the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is a prophet who God has called to speak some pretty harsh words to his people because they're getting way out of line. And Jeremiah's done what he's told. And now he's not really seeing the results that he expected. And he's in despair. And he's mad at God. And he's complaining. And I'm going to quote it from the King James because that's how I memorized it. The Lord says to him, hey, Jerry. Call on me. And I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. Now, here's the problem that you and I both have. And that is that we think we know everything. Now, we don't think we know everything there is to know. But we think we know every category of knowledge that exists. In other words, I know this well. I know this other stuff exists, but I don't understand it. Are you with me? See, I, I like to study science because it fits so well with creation in the scripture. And I can get into cosmology, the study of the universe. I can get into astrophysics. I can get into to the study of the atom. I can understand it. I get into biology and I start looking at the structure of little one-celled microbes and and how they, and I just get lost. So I know what I can understand. I know what I can't understand. And so I have a sense of, I know what I don't know. But the Lord says, call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. In other words, you don't even know that they exist. 
We did a, an exercise with our staff. There's some people in our church that they consult with businesses and, they, and they, 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 they do some testing and they teach you how to, to appreciate each other's strengths and how to work together better as a team. And one of the things that they were talking about is, is the way that we learn. And they said there's four stages. It starts out with that what you don't know what you don't know. You know, we have a problem with this. I don't know what I don't know. There's a lot about God that you probably don't know what you don't know. And if you dig a little deeper, you'll come to find it out. But, but you don't know what you don't know. And then you go from knowing what you don't know to beginning to learn what you don't know to mastering what you used to not know. Think about it this way. This week was my wife and I, our, is our wedding anniversary. We made it 38 years. I think there's hope for the long haul. And uh, I swapped my days off around, and, and we planned a day together. And we went out to uh, Sam Choi's for lunch. And, and being that close to downtown, you've got to go to Costco. <laughs> and we get in Costco, and, and, you know, it's one of those days when we don't really need a lot. It's sort of kind of recreational shopping. Do you ever do that? All of a sudden, we're walking there, and there it is what we need to buy for our grandchildren for Christmas. I mean, right there in front of us. And so right away we get on a cell phone, call their mom, is it okay, we do this, and yeah, everything's fine. So, so we bought what I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to slip and say it in front of them. Those little kids don't know what they don't know. When they get the gifts, they won't know how to use them. When they get them, they will then know what they don't know. And they will go to teaching them how to use them. But they have no idea that they even exist. They don't know what they don't know. This scripture, Jeremiah, where he says, great and mighty things that you know not. I have a friend who, who was a pornographer years and years ago. And, and he, uh, he, he, that's how he made his living. And during the, the, the revival in the 1970s, the Jesus movement, he, he saw some Christian literature and he got this idea that he could go sell Billy Graham a bunch of, of posters that he could then give away or sell to other people and he was going to make a fortune off of Billy Graham. And, uh, and so he puts these things together. He's an artist. He draws all this stuff up and he gets on an airplane to go see Billy Graham and he sits next to a guy who's a, a Christian author and they get to talking and shared what each other did for a living and he starts telling the other guy his his business and then his ideas and, and the other guy leads him to the Lord. So now he's not a pornographer anymore. He's out of business. And Billy Graham doesn't want to buy his posters. And so he's got quite a bit of money and he decides to put together a, a business where he'll make secular films that have a Christian message in them and he'll produce these films. And he made a couple and they flopped, basically. Um, they weren't even that bad. I saw them. They were pretty good, but they just the market wasn't ready for it. And like right now, he owns the, 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 the rights to the life of James Dean. James Dean actually wanted to be a pastor when he was a young man. And there's elements of Christianity that go all the way through his troubled life. And his family has entrusted his story to this person. But that business just never seemed to get off the ground. And in the midst of almost losing his house and everything that he had, he stumbled into a deal where he bought a set 
of a, a movie set from Dino De Laurentiis that, that's Alcatraz. And he, and he rented some warehouse space and, and, and when people want to do film of prisons, they don't have to go to Alcatraz anymore. They can go right over to Culver City where he's located. And, and, and one thing led to another and today he owns seven sound stages and he's in this business that just, it turns out to be a, a cash cow and he's able to invest a lot of money in other people's ministries. And, and God has blessed him. And, 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 and he was so struck with this scripture. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. See, I thought I was going down this path, but God had this path for me and I didn't even know it existed. That he changed the name of his company to GMT Productions. Hi, Alan. I know you're going to hear this on tape. Great and mighty things that you know not. God wants to do, and, and God wants to bless you, and he wants to strengthen you. And, and, and so it's his mighty power at work in us. What do you need from God? And I talked to a, a man this morning whose, whose marriage is a wreck, and, and his, his wife has, has abandoned him, and she's hurting very bad, and, and that's probably very good because it may be that, there's, that we're on the verge of something good happening. I talked to a person this week that's in a brand new job that's a, that's a hugely important job and they got promoted way up the ladder, jumped over several steps and, and they're intimidated by it. Told me the other day that they, on Friday, they wanted to quit their job on the way home but now they've begun to realize that it's a spiritual warfare and, and they're going back at it. I talked to a person the other night who's got a business that made money ever since it opened, every month it made more than it ever made before. And he became a Christian about four or five years ago, really surrendered his life to the Lord, began to tithe, and things hugely escalated to the point that he had to hire a bunch more people, get new space, all of that. Stood up in church, gave a strong testimony about God's grace being poured out in your life. And at that point, the devil started going to work on him. And there's been this duel going on ever since. And now he's having problems. The business is, is wonderful. The clients are there. The people work well together. But he's having a real hard time collecting. The receivables is killing him. We prayed about it. We trust the Lord to do something about it. What do you need? Because God's got the power to get the thing done. And, and, and he goes so far as to say that he can do infinitely more than we would ever dare ask or hope. And the words that are there in the, in the Greek language that say dare, ask, or hope, or, or the, the King James Version says ask or think, it really, the, the Greek's more succinct than that. It's really a, a term that basically would say he's able to do more than you could ever crave. What do you need from God? Because he's able to do it. What would it take to change your neighborhood in the way it needs to be changed or, or your, your workplace in a way that it needs to be changed? What would it take to, to bring your family up to speed? God is able. And, and see, I think we don't get it. I think we think of prayer as, as, a, as a job we've got to do. It's our religious duty. No, no, it's, it's, it's the ability to go and, and access heaven and download what you need. You know, I am thrilled with the Internet. My car, I overheated my car and fried the motor the other day. And it's over. You know, you play around with old cars, hobby cars. It's old Jaguar. We put a Chevy engine in it. Didn't have adequate cooling fan, and I cooked it, and I'm done. 
on this over. Somebody, if there's any of you that like to play with things, come see me. Um, and so I spent last night, late at night, on the internet, downloading information. And I can get so much from there. And, and, and I used to wonder when I was a kid, how can God hear everybody's prayers at once? I read a statistic this week. Google has now got 1.3 billion uh, websites registered with their search engine. 1.3 billion. And they can access it all at once. Well, if, if humans can build a machine to do that, what can God do? And, I, and, and when, I, when I begin to, 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 to interact with, it, with the Internet, I begin to think of God differently. I begin to realize I'm, I'm just accessing heaven's resources here. And I'm downloading the things that I need, and God is able to do beyond all I could ask or think. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 